Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing us to yourself this morning. Thank you that we can be here to worship you in freedom and peace. And thank you that one day the Lord will return. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, it's the third week of Advent and our sermon title is Surprise, I'll Be Back. And it's about the return of Christ, obviously. I'll be back. Now, I know what some of you are thinking when I say that phrase. (laughs) So let's get it out of our system. I'll be back is a statement made famous by Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 1984 film The Terminator. Hands up if you've seen that movie. Wow. And it's one of the most famous Hollywood lines ever. I think I saw a, a rating of famous Hollywood lines. This is number 37. And Schwarzenegger made it his trademark and he used it, or variations of it, in 14 other films. And it's also stimulated a whole series of jokes. For example, what did Arnold Schwarzenegger say to Sylvester Stallone when they decided to go to a fancy dress party dressed as classical composers? You be Beethoven and I'll be Bach. Or, what did the Terminator say at the bird convention when leaving for lunch? I'll be back. So now we've got that out of our system, let's consider the return of Christ. Now the first thing to say is this should not be a surprise If you're a Christian, the New Testament is quite clear that Jesus is going to return. You get long chapters of teaching on this in Mark 13, Matthew 24 and 25, and our chapter today, Luke 21. And also, as we did earlier in the service, if you've been used to saying the creeds, uh, it should come as no surprise. So in the Apostles' Creed, we said earlier that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, that is, he's gone to heaven, and from there he will come. He will come back to judge the living and the dead. In the Nicene Creed, slightly longer creed, it says, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, probably most of you will say those creeds at some stage the third one the Athanasian creed I suspect not many of you will say but it's in the Anglican prayer book and it says he will return and we will all rise in our bodies and give an account of our works so there should be no surprise for Christians that Christ will return and in fact we look forward to it we pray for it we rejoice in knowing that Christ will return And if you think about how the Bible ends in Revelation chapter 22, right at the end of the the whole Bible, you've read your way all the way through, let's imagine. You get to the last chapter like in a good story. How does the story end? It ends on this idea that Christ will return. He says, behold, I am coming soon. The spirit and the bride, that is the church, say, come He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And that's how the Bible closes. That's how it ends with Christ saying he's coming soon and the bride of Christ, the church, praying that he would come soon. 
And Anglicans remember the return of Christ in our communion liturgy. For example, in the second order of communion, we will at some stage in the liturgy say, and you can repeat this with me if you know it, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And then in the third order of uh, communion, that's the order we tend to use on a Wednesday more than on a Sunday, but we might use it on a Sunday occasionally, we have this little saying, you can say the words in uh, bold, uh, we eat this bread and drink this cup to proclaim the death of the Lord. We do this, uh, that is, we celebrate communion until he returns. We, that's a prayer. That last statement has an exclamation mark, one of the few times in the English language you should use an exclamation mark, and it emphasises... <laughs> emphasizes our earnest prayer that Christ would return soon. Do not send your annual reports to me full of exclamation marks. (laughs) They'll be removed. In the Anglican prayer book, there are special prayers for Advent that pick up the theme of the return of Christ. And I've printed one in contact, and it's the same one that's up on the screen. So let's pray this together. These are called collects, Anglican prayers that are in the prayer book, Uh, for each week of the year and this is one that's in for these couple of weeks which we call Advent. Let us pray. Almighty God give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put on the armour of light now in the time of this mortal life your son Jesus Christ came among us in great humility that on the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. And the, um, where it comes from is the Australian, uh, and, a, and a prayer book for Australia, APBA. So Christ is returning. And that should not come as any surprise to any of you here today. If you've read the Bible, if you've said the creeds, if you've been in an Anglican church for longer than five minutes, it should come as no surprise. Jesus is coming back. Praise God. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, in our reading today, Luke, who gives one of the, um, the stories about Christ's return in the Gospels, He tells us there will be some signs of Christ's return. There'll be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, the roaring and tossing of the sea, the shaking of the heavenly bodies. Now, some people try and read those signs like a timetable and try and figure out, oh, there's an eclipse here, there's a tsunami there. You know, these are signs that Christ's returning. I don't think that's the issue. What what is being told here is that when Christ returns, it will be a very public event and it will be attested to even by the created world. Now, most people won't understand what's going on. Luke says the nations will be in anguish. And people will be fainting with terror. So there's a degree of, of, um, uh, of uh, sadness and, and worry and anxiety about this. They will see strange things happening around them. And look at verse 26. They will be apprehensive at what is coming on the world. And that's quite understandable, isn't it? When you read the newspapers and you see headlines about things that are worrying you, um, things you don't quite get, it, it, you, 
you take it in at an emotional level. So people are going to be apprehensive and, and in terror. But for Christians, it should be different. We look at those signs and we know what they point to. We're not afraid because we know the signs are pointing to this wonderful truth that Luke mentions, that the Son of Man, that's a reference to Jesus, is coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And if you've read your Bible, you know that reference to the Son of Man coming in great power and glory comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Daniel. And so Christians recognize here is the long prophesied Son of Man coming to establish his kingdom that will never end. And so we praise God. And unlike the, the nations who are terrified at what is happening, look at what Christians do. We stand up and we lift up our heads because we know our redemption is drawing near. We're able to stand when everyone else is, is fearful and apprehensive. We're able to stand in confidence because we know the Lord is coming. Now, we don't know when this will happen, so thank you, Anita. I will not be giving you a timetable, and no one knows, and that's not the point. The chronology is not the issue. The issue is that Christians can rejoice at the return of Christ. Whenever it happens, others will be surprised, others will be shocked, others will be apprehensive, others will be terrified at the return of Christ. But for Christians, the return of Christ is good news. It's the fulfillment of redemption. It means everything will be put to right. Now, Jesus says these signs in the natural world are a little like leaves on the fig tree. So it's been winter, there are no leaves on the tree. Then the leaves start to appear, verse 29. And that tells us that summer is coming. And by analogy, when these signs appear in the natural world, you will know, verse 31, that the kingdom of God is near. So these give you a little bit of warning. So when Christ returns, Christians will experience in full what it means to be redeemed and what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Up until then, we're only just partially experiencing it. We've got the first fruits of it through the work of the Spirit. But when Christ returns, it'll be like the fullest experience and we will be in God's kingdom in a way that we have never, ever experienced up until now, up until then. So we will experience, I imagine, God's love and mercy, his welcome and compassion, his grace, um, his forgiveness in a way that we do not understand fully at the moment. So that's why we rejoice. We know that what is coming will be much better than what we're experiencing now. Our redemption will be complete, God's kingdom rule complete, and this kingdom that Jesus brings as he returns will never end. That's the end of life as we know it now and the beginning of a better life, life to the full. Now, the question that has uh, foxed everyone over the centuries and, and still uh, um, sort of makes people wonder at the moment is when will this happen? And you will read prophecies from scurrilous sources saying that the end is nigh. Please never lose any sleep by reading those prophecies. The only person who knows when this is going to happen is God the Father. Even the Son does not know when he is returning. But 
Verses 32 to 33 have confused us for a long time because they suggest that the return of Christ will happen soon. Let me read these, these couple of verses. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now it sounds like Jesus is saying the end will come before the generation of first disciples has died. And that would mean Christ should have returned sometime in the first century. But we're still here, so obviously it didn't happen. And consequently, people argue over what Jesus means by the phrase, this generation. Who is the this generation that will certainly not pass away? Now, I've come across at least five possible interpretations. First one, Jesus's generation. Second one, Luke's generation, the the readers of his gospel. Third one, the Jewish people. Fourth one, humans in general. And the fifth one, the last generation who are reading this uh, just prior to Christ's return. Now, without complicating things, and I may have complicated it too much already, um, I think the last option is probably the most persuasive. The last generation of humanity will be the ones that do not pass away. In other words, the people who see the signs in verse 25, the signs in the sun, the moon, the sea and all of that, that generation who sees those signs will also then see the return of Christ. That generation will not pass away before all those things happen. Biblical scholar David Box says it this way, Those who see the beginning of the end in the cosmic signs will see the arrival of the decisive era in the Son of Man's return. Once the events of the final act commence, they will take place rather quickly. Now again, whether you agree or disagree with David Bock or me is immaterial to me because nobody knows. Um, But... The issue, I think, is not so much chronology. That's why I don't get worried about chronology. The issue here that Luke wants to emphasise, or Jesus wants to emphasise, is the certainty of this happening, not the chronology. Look at verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So you can trust me that this will happen when it happens. This is not a timetable, but I'm giving you my assurance that I will return. It will happen, but only God knows when. So we come to the last section. Now, notice the context in the very last couple of verses. Jesus is teaching in the temple precincts each day, and then he goes out to the Mount of Olives, which is just across a little valley, and sleeps each night. In the temple precincts, there'll be a variety of people listening to him. There'll be disciples people who are, uh, have committed their life to him, uh, Peter, James, John, the early disciples, etc. There'll be others who are interested, they're intrigued, but they're not sure. They're just part of the crowd. And there'll be others in the temple who are de- um, decidedly against him. And remember, this is not long before he goes to the cross, so there'll be people in the crowd who are plotting against him, a very mixed crowd listening to him. Now, I think that's pretty similar to today. Think about our Christmas services. If you know 
the, the statistics on the attendances over our Christmas services over the last uh, five years or so, roughly 1,000 to 1,200 people will attend our Christmas services. Um, think of the thousands, hopefully, if the weather holds, coming to the Whitehorse Carols tonight. Over the years we've been doing that, maybe anything from five to 10,000 people come to attend the Whitehorse Carols. In such large crowds, there will be some who are committed disciples. They know the Lord. They look forward to his return. There'll be some, because it's Christmas, who are interested. They're not anti-Jesus. They're just not terribly, you know, not terribly enthused, but they're happy to come to a Christmas event, happy to listen, happy to sing the songs. And then there'll be some who come who are decidedly anti-Christian, anti-Jesus. We know from the statistics on Australian society and how Australian society is changing that our culture has many, many people who are anti-Jesus. Now, these last couple of verses say that Christ's return is an encouragement if you're a Christian, but it's a severe warning if you're not. So for those who are not yet Christians and, or who are decidedly anti-Christian, these final words are a warning And if you're sitting here this morning and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, can I ask you to listen to this uh, seriously? When Christ returns, it will be too late. It will be, oh my God, I should have decided on this before now type of moment. It will come quickly. Look at verse 34. The day, that is the day when Christ returns, will close on you suddenly like a trap. Now, the image of a trap describes the unexpectedness, the surprise, the shock. Think of walking through the forest, you know, if you're an animal and you get caught in a trap. Your leg is caught. It's too late. There's no, you should have taken a different path, but you didn't. You're on that road. And Jesus warns you, saying, it will come on you suddenly like a trap. No one will escape this. Look at verse 35. Christ's return will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. So there's the warning. Please, if you're not a believer in Christ, hear my warning. Believe in Christ now while you have time. Every day that Christ does not return is a gift to you to allow you time to make that decision to put your faith in Christ. But do not take that for granted because time will run out at some stage. Don't wait till it's too late. Sorry to be heavy about that, but I would be remiss if I didn't warn you. Now, for Christians, it is an encouragement to use your life well and to remain faithful to Christ. Jesus tells us in verse 34 not to waste your lives. Now, my, my uh, translation had drunkenness. I like the word carousing. Not to waste your life in carousing and drunkenness, which I, I suspect most Christians don't do that. that. That would be my suspicion. But the last phrase, notice the last phrase, you Christians. Do not waste your life worrying about the anxieties of life. No show of hands here, but you can move a thumb or something. <laughs> who, who loses Sleep over the anxieties of life. Move your left thumb. (laughs) Some of you are being a little more revealing than that. So Jesus is saying, you've got one life. I've given it to you. Use it well. 
remain vigilant and prayerful, he says, verse 36. Uh, in other places, it'll be about using your talents, uh, being a disciple, uh, being an ambassador for Christ, being salt and light, all of that. Don't waste your time worrying about the anxieties of life. That's what he's saying. Get on and serve me because one day I will return and the end will come. Until then, each day is a gift to you from God, a chance to serve God, use your life for God's purposes. And Christ's return then assures us that God will come, God will reign forever, he will judge the living and the dead. Everything will be put to right. There'll be a reckoning. There'll be a a vindication of God's people. And for Christians who have been uh, maybe at the margins of society in this early century, um, at the margins of being pushed to the margins of society in Australia, um, persecuted in many countries, uh, I just read an article last night on the on the the severe persecution that's coming on Christians in China. Uh, For Christians reading this, this is an encouragement. This is an encouragement that that God is in charge. Your life is not meaningless. The the good will win out. Jesus will return. He will return in power and glory like the Son of Man in Daniel 7. And as in Philippians 2, every knee will bow. And then we will stand in glory because our redemption has come near and we will live in the kingdom of God forever. Please use your lives well, folks, while you have time. Do not waste it. Come, Lord Jesus. Don't we pray that prayer? Come, Lord Jesus. I found myself praying it the other day when I was out mowing the grass, thinking about the world, going, oh, Lord, come, please. Come, Lord Jesus. Remain faithful to our Lord and pray that others will put their faith in him so that we have the joy of seeing more and more people come to faith in Christ. Amen.